Welcome back in the space between with Sean McClellan, your humble host and void specialist. I got a special guest for you guys today, Mr. Mike Strasbaugh, the Mike Strasbaugh Show podcast airing all over the world, Spotify, iTunes, all over the planet. Mike, Mike and I got connected through our podcast mastermind group a while back and his story is absolutely amazing. I can't wait for him to share a little bit of that with you guys. So Mike, thank you so much for taking time to land in the space between. Thanks for sharing your time with me, Sean. I appreciate you. So give me a little bit of backstory about your story. I watched your TED Talk last night to kind of give me some ideas about things I wanted to ask you in regards to that. Just give my listeners a kind of a brief summary of what your life has looked like in the past four or five years of some of the things you've kind of been through. Uh, well, last four or five years. Um, well, that was OK. So the TED Talk happened last November uh, and the TED Talk primarily focused on ages 24 to 36 um simply because well spoiler alert that was when my my immunodeficiency kind of went unchecked because it was undiagnosed um so that was that was the hardest part for sure and that's kind of the bulk of what the ted talk is about but for the last five years it has been interesting in a different sort of way or in a different way because as we all know covid hit about three years ago three and a half years ago at this point and um, that really affected me a lot because with my immunodeficiency, um, and I don't, I don't even think I address it. No, I don't. Uh, in my TED talk, but in 2019, six months before COVID hit, <clears throat> I was also diagnosed with a lung disease. Um, so, with an immunodeficiency and a lung disease, living in a COVID world means I have to live a little different than most folks. Um, I'm pretty. I kind of. It's. I kind of live in self-imposed isolation. It sounds a little more, I don't know, it sounds sadder than it actually is. Obviously, I get to interact with the people that I want to interact with online, so it's all fine, and this is how I teach. But I live in a world where I have to go through it assuming that everybody has COVID. The, the floor is made of lava all the time. So it's, an, it's a different life, but it's quiet. It's a lot of solitude, and I kind of dig it. Um, so that's been the last four or five years. Unfortunately, I, I, uh, I had to stop teaching college, which was a lot of fun for me. I was teaching uh, music at a uh, small college in Denver. But apart from that, um, last five years have been pretty good with in terms of my teaching, uh, which I'm actually boosting up now. <clears throat> but before that, with, the, uh, with my immunodeficiency and everything I talk about in my TED Talk, we can certainly discuss that as well. Is that what you were actually asking about? I think so, because I think, you know, it's funny you mentioned you open up your TED talk with something I've said myself at uh, one of the speaker uh, speaking engagements I've had at one of, one of my corporations. Uh, the we're all born. Uh, it's a one in 400 trillion chance we get to have this life in existence. Yep. And, and my question to you is, like, why do we think or why do most people not recognize how just lucky we are to have this human experience? Because you don't have to. Because if you're a human... You are already born into, you You are born with your lottery ticket. So you don't know how precious a lottery ticket is, right? It's like so many things that we take for granted these days. We don't think about electricity until it goes out, right? So I mean, obviously it's much smaller scale, but it's the same idea. Until 
until you are faced with that question or faced with the circumstance of imminent death or possible death when a doctor's looking at you in the face and they start saying big words that you don't understand and your mind disconnects as this person is telling you that you have cancer or whatever that is you don't think it's possible because everybody else that these kind of things happen to other people everybody on the planet though is other people by definition anybody besides you is other people right so we think oh that happens to other people we don't need, even if you don't consciously think that it's a subconscious thing ah i i don't have to think about that uh, life whatever we're all alive why why would i think about that so I mean, that we could talk about that for hours. Um, yeah, I don't know, especially in, in, in today's world where we do live in a world of such amazing ease and comfort and stability and instant gratification, all of the good things. Why would we think about things like death and mortality? Because we don't have to. This isn't the this isn't the 13th century where half the people are dead before the age of 25 and we see death everywhere it's not a constant reminder so why would we yeah i i hear you man and i think for me in regards to me pursuing my dreams and my goals like um i understand that we all have an expiration date you un you clearly understand what that expiration date looks like for you in your life i mean you had correct me if i'm wrong you had six widowmaker events in your life in a very short amount of time you know um, you know you know what's actually? I'm sorry. You know what's funny? I forgot about one. It says seven. 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 Yeah. You that's know what? Like you know that's my lucky number, Mike. Yeah, I, it's 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 kind of funny because I was I was thinking about it. I was like, wait, did I? I forgot about June of two thousand six. I was like, nope, that was another episode of pneumonia. So, um, of like in the hospital for two weeks. So it was seven of them. That's a lot. When you got a lot of them, when you forget how many there were. But yeah, six or seven, either way. It was though that number of events where doctors are looking at me saying, call your parents and say goodbye, or you would touch and go and we're going to do our best and things like that. Yep. Seven of them. So dude, having those, having those conversations with doctors, having that realization that your time, your expiration date could actually be punched at any given moment. Yeah. How has that changed your perspective and how, in regards to how you choose to live your life to this day? It's, I, I got to tell you, Sean, it's a double-edged sword. I really do wish for, for, for the sake of this podcast, this interview, and just for the sake of my own perspective, my own life, and my own state of mind, I wish I could say that every day I wake up and I think, man, my, you know, my, my ticket could get punched any time and living life to the fullest, etc. But a lot of times it is pretty hard um, in that Having a disease like mine, common variable immunodeficiency, it's one in 50,000 disease, <clears throat> um, that went unchecked for so long. You know, I lived basically for 12 years, 24 to 36. That's a, man, that's an important time to lose. Um, but you're still, you're developing. Obviously, you're still developing as a human, as an adult. And so I think, unfortunately, what happened was there's a, it's not hardwired, but I tend to, oftentimes default to it's almost like I'm dissociated a lot of the time um, in that that's how I lived for 12 years because if you look at your life and all these horrible things are happening to you and you're in pain a lot of pain for years at a time um, and it's just a common uh, a, a human reaction where our brain it disassociates um, you kind of you you almost mentally you step back and you look at all of this happening to somebody else 
because if you look at yourself and all the stuff is happening, it's a, it's a lot to accept. It's too much to take sometimes. So your, your mind just disconnects and you just watch it happen. You watch this life, if you want to call it life, you watch it happen to other, to somebody else, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? So you're kind of outside of yourself kind of, yep. looking at your own life, but you're, you're thinking that it's actually happening to somebody else. Not yeah, you. I'm, an, I'm an observer, a, a shapeless, formless observer living in here, watching through the eyes of somebody else, just watching it all happen. That can happen too easily. So there are times I'm just sitting there kind of like doing nothing. I'm like, man, I need to get off my butt and do some stuff. And so it does still happen, especially these days where, um, my, my solitude, my self-imposed solitude is pretty extreme. Like I see one person, I see, well, I see my home infusion nurse. She does my treatments every month. I see my lady and I see my two cats and that's pretty much it. Like I go out and I take walks and I go into stores with masks and everything, but there's only a couple people that I interact with on a daily basis. And so I live in a little teeny bubble a lot. And so it can be a two edged sword. That being said, um, I do still live a life. I think, I've always considered myself to have something of an old soul anyway, um, but I certainly do now because of what I've been through. So with that, the perspective that I've got, regardless of what I'm thinking about on a day-to-day basis, um, I do appreciate my perspective just for life in general. Um, the ability to, to roll with a lot of punches. Um, I'm human. I react to dumb stuff just like anybody else does. But I get over it pretty quick and I move on because subconsciously, even if I'm not thinking about it consciously, there is always the idea that things have been and can get a whole lot worse. And all things considered, I'm insanely lucky, insanely lucky every day. I'm not in pain. I'm still alive. Got my cats. I got my lady. Life is really good. I get to teach music every day. So in the worst of times, that is still my default. And so I do still look at that a lot and think, man, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. So it really is. It's a lot of great stuff. And it's a lot of times where I kind of find myself wandering and floating around, so to speak. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome. I know you're a big music guy like myself. You know, I've been involved in music since um, early playing trumpet and marching band, symphonic band. Let's dive into some of your music stuff, man, because you talk about picking up a guitar and how it saved your life. Uh, tell me a little bit about, about that experience and how that you formed that connection and where you were in that time of your life to where it just kind of pulled you in and kind of saved you. You bet. So um, we are of an age. I, I'll be 52 next month. So that means I was born in 1971. We are ch- I'm, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s, Gen X, right? Why am I bringing this up? Obviously, same no. Here. Same here. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, we came of an age before the internet. So... Um, there, we weren't inundated with all of the music by all of the people and all of the, everything, all the time stuff had a chance to be more impactful. I'm just saying that. Um, but I grew up in, you know, youngest in the seventies. So during that time, uh, I'm from a military family. We moved a lot, but the only one of the constant companions we had as a family was not if I'm being honest, not specifically good music in the 70s. My parents were not hippies in the 60s or anything like that. My dad was in the military, so he served in Vietnam. Pretty conservative family, and the music reflected it. So a lot of 70s soft pop, just stuff on the radio, but uh, Kenny Rogers, Air Supply, Ann Murray. (laughs) People haven't heard of a lot of these, but that was on the radio a lot. But luckily, 
Mom had some pretty good taste, and there was a lot of, well, a lot of Eagles, but the Beatles were really big. <clears throat> but I'm trying to think of anything else in the 70s that I heard that was really cool. That's it, just the Beatles. So at that point, music didn't mean anything. It was just stuff my mom would put on the radio. In the 80s, um, more of the same, but we were moving around, and I moved here to Colorado in 84. And I was a you know, 12, 13-year-old kid. And that's when my dad retired. <laughs> was uh, mid-80s. And this is relevant because, one, we stayed here, but, two, that was a really tumultuous time in my family. Uh, what happened to us happens to a lot of military families. Uh, we fell apart after uh, Dad retired. And just life being what it is, and, you know, people made choices. Everybody did the best they could, but Dad went one way, like in my video I say in my TED Talk, you know, Dad went that way, my sisters and my mom went other ways, and I was left alone in a house. And this, this lasted for a couple of years. Um, and I was between the ages of about 15 and 17, where I would get home from school and there's nobody there for weeks at a time. Um, it's not a great situation for, for a 15-year-old boy to be in. Um, it's, it creates, you know, it, it, it creates circumstances that, that, you know, we deal with our whole lives. Um, I would find out later that I would be horribly codependent, which caused issues. But anyway, that was a big part of it. I was lost and alone and neglected, and I didn't have the language to, to actually recognize it at the time. I'm saying that now, but that's, that was the, the situation that I found myself in. And I had no anchor. I had no tether. I was just lost and floating in the world, and I had nobody. I had good friends, um, but, that's, but I had nothing grounding me personally. Well, <clears throat> I was in 10th grade English class. I, the memory is here, it's, it's, it's plain as day. It was a 10th grade English class and it was like a musical show and tell day, actually. And uh, this kid, Brian, Brian Stewart, Brian Sanders, I can't remember his last name. It's his turn to share his music and there's a big boom box, big old boom box. And he pulls out a white cassette tape and he puts it in and he presses <laughs> play. And this, what comes out instantly changes my life. And it was side B of Metallica's Master of Puppets. And that song is called Disposable Heroes. And it hits hard, really hard, really fast. And it just, the second it starts, the the, the emotion, that, that emotional connection that, and other artists fail with different art. But for me, as a future musician, this music hit me in such a way where all of the pent up anger, emotion, call it anger, not rage, but the, the that feeling, um, so many descriptors, it all just, it funneled right out of me. I was like, I didn't, I, I didn't know what it was. I'd never heard anything like it, but I, I just, the feeling it gave me, I was like, I don't know what this is, but I have to get that music right away. And I have to, I have to do that. I, that I have to do it. And that was Metallica. And I mean, to this day, I'm still, I'm still a, a Metallica kid at heart. Um, but that would turn into playing lots of eighties metal, um, on my radio first, but then as soon as I could, putting that guitar on layaway in, in at the end of 1987 and finally getting it in 1988 and just never putting it down. So I would get home from school. Nobody was there, but my guitar was there. So as I like to tell people, I was alone, but I wasn't lonely anymore. I would put on my headphones with my guitar and my, my music books and look up at the clock and it's six hours later. 
And that one thing, having that guitar, it gave me excitement to go home. It gave me a reason to go home. And it, it was my best friend for, for years and kind of, it still is. But with that, I, it wasn't an issue of me. I, I got to go home and practice or anything. I couldn't wait to get home, disappear with the guitar into my own world. And that was my solitude. That was my desert island. And it, that's that feeling that association with guitar first, but then music in general, that's never left. Even when I couldn't do music for damn near a decade because of my disease, it was always there. I love it, dude. I love it. I receive all that. I have kind of a similar story with me getting into DJing, but I want to kind of digress from that and talk about uh, something else <laughs> in regards to you. You said you had an issue at one point in time and your brain was swelling. Mm -hmm. and you lost hearing in your left ear. And my question was, did you forget, forget how to play the guitar and some of your musical abilities during this time when you were sick? And did you have to relearn some of the stuff that you'd already learned from the past? And if you did, what were you thinking? How frustrated were you that you couldn't um, perform to the level that you had kind of gotten to? You bet. Um, I, I'll still never get to that level. Um, I don't, but luckily I don't care. And here's why. Um, I've actually had to relearn how to play a couple of times, but the biggest one was when I had viral encephalitis, um, which for your listeners means it's an inflammation of the brain. Um, a lot of people never come out of it. They stay in a vegetative state forever, and that's it. Um, luckily, mine was viral encephalitis, um, and I only lost about a week mentally. Uh, that's gone. But after that, when I, when I woke up, uh, this was 2004, August of 2004, <clears throat> um, it happened on Monday morning. I woke up on Saturday. There's no, there instantly, it's, it's an, it's, it's a span of an instant in my, in my, in my brain. So for, for six days, uh, apparently I was there, but consciously I wasn't. But when I did come out of it finally on Saturday night, it was, it was a brain reboot. Um, I, I reestablished reality. Nothing made sense. Um, it was like in, an alternate dimension reconnect with reality um started to learn how to think again Lear literally learn how to think then speak then reconnect with my body then learn how to start to use it again um so i you know had to use my hands how to walk everything so that took a while to learn how to play again but that was 2004 i lost my hearing in 1998 and even by then and this is two years after undergrad right this is just right after i got my classical uh, my ba in classical guitar so i was all in obviously and i had a plans and the goals and futures and all that stuff when you're in your early 20s but even within two years of undergrad left hand my left hand started to get chronic tendonitis such that um before the age of 30 i knew i couldn't play anymore because if i would just play at all like like i was normal like i was used to doing it would activate tendonitis that wouldn't go away for six months six months and it was painful like swollen throbbing all the time constantly so it was baffling doctors but I eventually just realized that I couldn't play anymore. And right around that time is when my hearing went away in, in an hour on a Friday night. So psychologically, physically, I was getting signals from everywhere that said, yeah, you're not going to do this anymore. You don't get to do what you want to do anymore. And you're, you're going to get punished for it. So I stopped playing the way I, that I, the way that I was used to playing that, that was hard to take. I was still in my twenties. It took a long time to psychologically just cope with that. Um, so I stopped really playing at that point. <clears throat> and in 2004, 
Um, I actually got surgery in May for my tendonitis, not to play like I had because that was never going to happen, but at least to be functional with my hand and maybe pick up the guitar every once in a while. But that's when the encephalitis hit. So those were back to back. After that, like I knew I was done essentially. And I thought it was done forever. 2007, I get diagnosed and that's when the doctor said, yeah, your tendonitis should be good. And so I learned again and I hadn't played in many, many years. I learned how to play guitar again in grad school. That was hard because I didn't have time to practice. I was getting three master's degrees while working full time and working as a teaching assistant. I didn't have time to practice. So my chops didn't get better, but my mind did. Um, so after the encephalitis, um, I didn't learn how to play again, play again. <clears throat> but my connection to music, even though it was taken from me several times and I relearned everything up here and everything my ears could hear and understand and interpret those, they took a while again, every time, but it was never really an issue, Sean, honestly, of frustration. This actually kind of goes back to what you were talking about before with perspective on life. It, it, when I, when it was taken from me, yeah, it was horrible. I was not clinical depression, but essentially clinical depression. By the time I'm in my mid thirties, it's 2004. I've lost the ability to play several times. Anytime I could do anything musical, I was so ecstatic about it. It didn't matter that I had to start from scratch and learn everything again. I got to do it again, over and over again, start from scratch again, but at least I got to do it, right? That's how I felt about it. Yeah. And I didn't look at it. I don't think I looked at it that way at the time. I just picked it up. Well, actually, no, I probably did. I was just excited to hold a guitar, to be able to think about it and actually apply my brain and my fingers occasionally. Yep. So kind of the opposite of frustration, just the ability to reconnect with that one thing that makes me me and make me feel whole again. Yeah. Fantastic, dude. I yeah. love it, dude. I receive all that. What do you think about, um, you know, music in general? Uh, I've read a couple of articles and maybe you can shine some light on this. Um, we, we as humans are just a massive energy vibrating at about 432 kilohertz, right? So when you think of music and when it, it's just a vibration as well, uh, played in, in different uh, ways that kind of resonate with our own um, being, kind of how we get chill bumps and stuff. What is your what is your kind of thoughts and feelings on that that in theory or string theory in regards to humans and the connection to music? Oh boy, how much time have you got? So <laughs> I talk about this a lot actually. Uh, with okay. my, um, not not to the level that, that that you're talking right now, but in terms of vibration and resonance and consonance, um, the idea that everything is energy it is so it it's so endearing to me. It's it makes me feel so good. Because regardless of anybody's religious beliefs, everything is energy. And that I am 100% down with. We know that for sure. The idea that if everything is energy and we are energy when we die, are we dissipated energy? Or is our consciousness just energy that, trans that, that exists in another state? I don't know. And I'm great with that. I'm great <laughs> with not knowing. Really, I would rather not know. In fact, I think just quick, quick aside, I think the fact that we quote unquote know so much, we quote we know everything. Obviously we don't, but you get what I'm saying, right? right. We don't have to we don't have to discover anything on our own. All we gotta do is say, hey, phone, tell me everything I wanna know. And it does. The curiosity that is that is genetically 
genetically that makes us human, we don't have to enact it. We don't have to enable it. And that bums me out. But stuff like that, well, it's, it makes me infinitely curious about energy and the universe and my place in it and our place in it and the place and our connection with music. Clearly, music is a genetic human experience. There is great scientific thought given to the idea that language evolved through music, not the other way around. And again, I wasn't there, but even the fact that that, that thought is being considered makes me, it pleases me so much. Um, we have discovered ancient flutes created from the legs of cave bears that are, oh God, I'm gonna <laughs> but this could be maybe 65,000 years old, at least 40,000 years old. And when I think about that, Sean, it's, it, uh, it, it's, I, I'm speechless. Clearly, I think that that long ago, when there was nothing but nature, and including us, and we were different, we were a different species entirely. We were connected to the earth and through the earth in ways that I think we lost. Talking about you know, magnetic and resonance and all of the things, I really do think that, that the human species was so much more intimately connected to the earth before that we have lost. The ideas of animism, if you want to talk about that from terms of faith, and music is right there. It's right there. So I think that the way we have evolved with music and the way we could hear what we would call pitches now, an A440, A432, they're all so intimately connected that I just love to sit and ponder it. Um, it's really not much of an answer, but um, but but in terms of like resonance and, and in terms of music itself, the way intervals work octaves and perfect fifths and things like that these are direct mathematical ratios of each other this is science and is math and it's energy and it's everything all at once under the umbrella of music and when i teach it i, I could teach it to a student every single day and and i love every second of, of talking about it absolutely i can see that i feel that dude i feel it man <laughs> You said something really interesting in your uh, when you're kind of wrapping up your TED talk, dude. And I want to touch on this before we wrap up today, Mike. You said you wouldn't be who you are today if you hadn't gone through all these tragic events. Sure. How has these events developed you on your journey, and what does success look like for Mike Strasbaugh in the future? Well, I'm glad you asked that. <clears throat> success means waking up every day. Not being in pain, not being in the kind of pain that is so debilitating I can't function otherwise. Um, yeah, I'm 51. My back is a little sore, but these are normal human things, and I can work on that. Success looks like that. Success looks like me doing what I what my what I'm here to do, which is music. These are all tangible issues of success. Maintaining my relationship with those that I love, hanging with my cats. These are little. These are massive successes to me. Um, and hopefully, just as I age as a human being, with, with my circumstances, wisdom that we all accrue, whether you want to or not, um, that's good. that looks like success. Because the wisdom is success in that, one, we learn how to not sweat small stuff. We look at things that would have bothered us before. We look at things that are inconsequential, and we let them remain inconsequential, which means our, our minds and our hearts, our spirits, call what you will, they are more focused they're more dialed into the things that are frankly more important. And I'm not going to tell other people what's going to be important to them, but I can give them my two cents. Um, for me, that these things are the most important thing. We've only got so much time, right? And so 
Yeah. I don't want to spend it so focused or, or distracted, if you will, on all the exterior. I would much rather focus on the interior. I, that's, I mean, I do spend a lot of time alone anyway, but I'm kind of digging it. I spend a lot of time with music and a lot of time thinking about music and a lot of time just pondering. I take a lot of walks in nature and I wouldn't change a thing. That's what success looks like to me. However, <laughs> success from a career standpoint, um, well, I've been teaching since 1996. That's when I got my BA in classical. I got three master's degrees and I finished that in 2013. I've taught college. I'm pretty good at it. Uh, um, but I've been teaching one-on-one -on -one this whole time. Part of that being, I'm not a fan of social media. I don't like what it's done. I don't like what's on it. I just, I don't need it. That's fine. Um, I need it to advertise, but apart from that, I don't need to live on it. So right. I've kind of been trying to decide how to reconcile that because teaching one-on-one -on -one just financially doesn't make any sense for me. So I am hard at work um, on what I'm calling just Strasbourg Guitar and Music Academy. It is, it's just going to be an online school. It's going to be one, on, not one-on-one, -on -one, but it's via Zoom. No videos, no courses, just me teaching several classes a week, one monthly tuition, and students can, they, they can work with me up to six hours a week if they want to, three different classes, teaching all the stuff, not the stuff that I learned in grad school because that's higher level stuff, but kind of with that premise. They, my students will be working with me. It will be a real conservatory with four different music classes, not all guitar, but just music. All the music stuff that every aspiring musician, not career-wise, but just regular people want to do, want to learn. All the guitar stuff, the music history, ear training, music theory, all of that, I will teach that um, and it will be a school. And that's what I'm gonna be advertising. I'm insanely excited about it because it, because when I, when I taught in Denver, um, I mean, I had been teaching one-on-one -on -one for almost 30 years now, but teaching in a classroom environment, man, I really take off there. I love teaching in a classroom environment to, to a class of students. Yep, I really shine there, and I can't wait to get back at it. That's what success looks like to me in terms of career. That's what I want to do, and that allows me all the time to write curriculum, to write, write more and more of my music as part of that curriculum, to record more, etc. So really excited about all of it because it does allow me to do a lot more of my own music too. I love it, dude. I receive all that, brother. What is the best way for someone to get in touch with you in regards to pursuing this course uh, when they're ready? Uh, well, unfortunately, um, <laughs> I, I've just been busy with some other stuff right now. The website's not that I don't have a website up. I don't have any funnels going or anything like that. So if, if any of this sounds interesting, first check out my show. There's only a couple episodes because of the, of the podcast, the Mike Strasbaugh Show, I'm going to rebrand it to just the Strasbaugh Guitar and Music Academy Show because it's going to be a little more cohesive that way. <clears throat> but if they want to check out kind of my style, um, they can check that out. They can check me out on social media. For about six months, it's great. I actually kind of enjoyed doing it, but I also didn't enjoy it because... I was, I was just doing the same thing everybody else was doing. And I'm not a fan of 15-second videos because I don't think they really do anything. Um, but they can check them out. Find me on social media. Contact me that way. I'll get back to you. Promise. Yep. So they can't contact me through my website yet because it's down. Because um, it's just getting retooled. But any social media, Mike Strasbaugh. Yeah, I'll put all type your in Strasbaugh, you'll find 
I'll put all your stuff in my, my show that? notes, Mike. I'll put all my all your stuff in my show notes, the TED Talk and all that stuff, all the information wow. I do that for you. I can put that in my show notes so yeah. anybody can reach out to you. And um, Excellent. thank you so much for your time today, Mike. It's been a real pleasure to catch up with you. All the best for the future. I know you're going to crush it, dude. All right. Thanks, Sean. You're the best, man. Appreciate you. Love you, buddy. We'll see you soon. Take care. And just like that, another void has been filled in the space between. Hey, listen, you're obviously a podcast listener. You're listening to this podcast, which I appreciate you. Have you ever thought about launching your own? Are you somebody who feels like I've got a message, but I'm not quite clear what it is or who would ever want to hear it? Let's do this. Let's have a conversation. I'll kind of take you behind the scenes of the Space Between podcast, show you how I do it. And worst case scenario, you'll have three really simple steps that you can use right now to understand what your message is and how to get it out there. Go to linkwithshawn.com, S-E-A-N, linkwithshawn.com. Book a call, pick a time that works for you, and let's have a conversation about you and your message, all right? We'll see you on the call.